I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and founder of Crate Club, the number one tactical and survival gear subscription box in America. Being prepared matters, so choose military-grade hand-picked gear by special ops professionals. Gift Crate Club today at crateclub.com. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. and I'm SoftRep's Managing Editor. I will be hosting this week's episode alongside our very own George Hunt, Delta Force, Pipe Heater, and SoftRep Writer. Our guest today is Greg Cocker, veteran of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, also known as the Night Stalkers, and all-around badass. Welcome, <laughs> Greg. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Could you please give us a brief background of your service? Yes, sir. I, I enlisted in the Army, and I was an infantryman assigned to the 101st. I always wanted to fly helicopters since I was a little kid. My dad was in the Air Force, so I was always hanging around flight operations and airfields. And At the time, I didn't have a degree, and, and the only vehicle for me was to go to the Army in their warrant officer program. I just put in my paperwork after about three years, got selected, went to Fort Rucker. My first assignment out of Rucker was flying AH-1 Cobras in South Korea. That was for a, a year. And then I came back to the States, transitioned to Apaches, AH-64s. And I've been a gun guy my whole life, so I just like shooting stuff yeah. and blowing shit up. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I remember when I was a young, young soldier there at Campbell sitting in back one day and we just come out of the field. We were cleaning weapons and getting our gear all ready. And these four little black helicopters flew over and I was looking at them and, and my platoon sergeant, you know, he kind of screamed at me and told me to get back to work. <laughs> stop, stop looking at those helicopters. They didn't exist. <laughs> oh, <hell. laughs> Good stuff. And I was like, Oh, really? Okay. I don't know. Several months later, it was pretty funny. I told him I was going to go fly those little black helicopters, and he told me I was stupid. So, Oh, no. I wish I could find that guy today. It's pretty funny. Yeah, that would be great if you could do that. You know, rub yeah. it in his face, you know? Yeah, he's probably retired sergeant major somewhere. I knew about the unit, of course, being at Fort Campbell, and, and actually I had some very close <laughs> friends that were in B Company, first one sixtieth, so they were the gun, they flew the gunships. So I, you know, I aspired. I, I I just worked hard as an aviator and as a gun guy and I wanted you know I wanted to be with the best. And everybody said they were the best. So so I assessed and I put in my packet as a young W two. I was told later that I didn't meet the standards for the regiment at the time. This was in ninety three, but you had to have a thousand hours of flight time and a hundred hours of night vision goggles. Well, I'd flown a lot of MVG in Korea and then of course at Campbell in the Apache unit under Commander Cody, later to be General Cody. So I, I had over uh, I think like two hundred and sixty hours of night vision goggles. And I had about almost just over six hundred hours of flight time. But they weighed that out and they said, Yeah, let's let's assess this guy and see how he does. So that's what I did. Did my assessment and came back to 
B Company first 160 to fly the AH-6s for almost 15 years. Nice. Very interesting. Gio? So, since we're on the topic of uh, the gunships, you know, I know you flew AH-6J model. I imagine I'm aware of all the different gun configurations that, that you can put on, a, on an AH-6 or on a gun bird. Could, do you have a particular configuration that, that you like to fly, and are you in control of what configuration you get before you fly a mission? Or is that like a, kind of a top-down decision? Well, it's, that's a good question, George. The mission depends on the threat. So we can configure Roger. the aircraft. So if we have you know, a light armor threat or heavy defense, then I can hang a GAL-19, that's a three-barrel 50 cal, on it. We call it TRIPS. So we go with a GAL, minigun, and a rocket pod. Or we can hang it with he- heavy hellfire. But my favorite is the dual minis and dual rocket pods. So it's, it's probably the most violent thing on earth. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, did, I almost asked that question when we were talking on the phone the other day, but I, but I, I deemed it too stupid to ask at the time, and now I just heard the answer. So it's, it is true that uh, an AH-6 can take a Hellfire configuration. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So you get one on each side, or how many how many rockets can you get? We can carry four missiles, two on each. Four side. missiles. Yeah, generally we'll go with a missile side and then a minigun. It's cool as hell, man. I didn't know that. You mentioned that, and this is another thing I had no idea of. But you mentioned an AH-6 can really engage in no appreciable amount of time hovering anywhere, just because of the sheer weight of the gun package, right? That's correct. In all my days, I was I was thinking that, wow, you know, if I get in a real fix during this mission, an AH-6 can swoop down and pick me up. And that's probably not the case ever. No, yeah, we've we, actually done that. Yeah, I mean, we can land, but we can't, you know, we can't hang around and at a hover because of the weight. Now, we can, you know, I can come in and land just about anywhere. To hover, we get into the limits of the engine and... You know, yeah. it depends on the environmentals and things like that. But I, I know for a fact there was a case one of the Delta guys who got shot one night in Baghdad and an AH landed on the on the roof. They calculated that it would be faster to fly him to the cache. The plan was to get him off the building and into a pander and get him or one of the armored vehicles and it was gonna take up twenty minutes and and I said, no, let's just fly him there. So Gunbird landed. They kicked out the ammo cans and threw Billy in the dock on and got him there in about six minutes. That's great. That pretty much wraps up my questions on, uh, on, the, uh, on the gun configuration. I'm glad I asked, honestly. Oh, and there's all right. been all kind of other stories and other combat operations and training where we'll actually practice it. You know, we'll, we'll land and we'll pull the cans out or to reduce weight or rockets or whatever. So we could get a couple guys, we can get one guy on each side. So they just John Wayne, the minigun, you know, they'll sit on the plank and then straddle the minigun. It's funny cause they always ask us, please don't fire that gun while I'm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would, I would ask you to fire it and uh, <laughs> fire the gun and get a picture yeah. as well. You know, oh, gosh. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would be a bad day if we had to fire the gun with, oh my with Lord. a dude sitting on the plank. So, Craig, did you pick the little bird as the as your platform, or or does the regiment assign new pilots according to its needs? That's a great question, and I had requested the gun company, so B Company, and one again, I had I had several good friends there, and, and just. You know, it's my natural progression as a gun guy, because if you bring a fellow in that flew Blackhawks or, you know, any other aircraft, you got to teach him to shoot. And at least, you know, at that point in, in a gun guy's career, he understands ballistics and weapon systems and, you know, putting the sight on the target and, and accurately engaging it. So there are some gun guys that went or 58 guys that went to ACO. You know, because it's still a, it's an MH6, it's that smaller aircraft. And, yeah. But a lot, most of the time, it's the needs of the regiment. 
In my case, I told them I'd go fly hot air balloons if that's what they wanted. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, never turn down anything but your collar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. I guess I'm, you know, not that smart. So they sent me to B Company. <laughs> hey, but Chief, what about the DAP? Did you ever have any experience flying the DAP? Frame? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to go up with those guys, and it's, man, it's just, it's a great platform, and I, that thing can carry some armament and, you know, good guys. We, we lovingly refer to them as skirts. Skirts. Yeah. It's still a black Hawk. And there's just a lot of, you know, just like any unit, we, we all pick on each other and hack on each other. But, uh, like the, the MH six little bird guys, we'd always tell them they all wear thong panties and then the black Hawk guys would wear, they wear skirts. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's just rude, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chief, we got to t- we got to uh, ribbon with some uh, with some age pilots from the stalkers, and when we wanted to irritate him, we would refer to the bird as a tiny bird, oh, and that God, got under yeah. their skin really quick. <laughs> yeah, that, it's the that little things, go. man. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I had no idea. The, my first experience with a DAP was uh, in Somalia. It was outside the city, or just you know gunning some targets one night, AHs were making runs, and it was the typical, you know, two pods, two six guns. Yeah. It's so the same thing over and over, you know, brrr, whoosh, whoosh. and yeah, we sure. made, I don't know, I'm 15 or some sorties <laughs> over, over a knocked out ZSU-4 Soviet anti-aircraft chassis. Then yeah. suddenly, the 16th run was a freaking DAP, and I had never heard of or seen a DAP before. Oh, and it yeah. came over, man, and it started cranking out a 30-millimeter chain gun. <laughs> yeah. then, it, then it sent a salvo of rockets, and I was filming it with a camcorder at the time. Wow. And uh, the, the the sight is amazing, but the, the background noise is, is right after it launches the rocket, you could hear me go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd that tank come from? It's great, man. Scared. Yeah, yeah it's just, you know, it's another tool in the toolbox that yeah the respect has man. And, and that we can provide for them so yeah it's it, it's it's a pretty dynamic team roger and wicked range too on the dap right oh yeah man it's it's got long long legs so of course you know everybody knows it can aerial refuel and of course they were part of the package that on the invasion in afghanistan in 01 they they escorted those chinooks in for over a thousand miles Wow. thousand yeah. miles. Okay. Yes, sir. As long as air salt in history. Yeah, I would say so. A thousand miles. Is that a thousand miles without a refuel or is, is that? They aerial refueled. Speaking of the invasion of Afghanistan, would you mind telling us a bit about your halo, almost halo uh, with the Rangers? Uh, <laughs> 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 well, yeah, that was. I mean, we were just doggone. It, it was so exciting. And it was a lot of fun. And, of course, there was a lot of chaos in the early days because, you know, we were all trying to figure out what to do. And I, I never will forget. I think it was, it was either Gerald Daly or it was Lieutenant Colonel Blaber. They put oh, out one Pete of our – Blaber. Ross? Yeah. Awesome. Pete and Scotty Miller was there. Me Ross. and Scotty used to sit outside the tent every night when I'd get back and we'd just – you know, we just talk or I'd, I'd chat with Colonel Schwitter and Colonel Schwitter was a really interesting fella. You, oh, flatliner. Yeah. This the guys yeah. called him, Fla- call him flatliner. Flatliner. Yes. I never call him that, but. And just had uh, a real deadpan expression and you know, but yeah, but he's damn good. <laughs> Twitter's superior. Yeah, car. I know. And I was told, I, I don't know, Gio, you may confirm this, but I was told that he was on desert one as an E6 in Iran, and after the crash and all that chaos that, that Colonel Beckwith had made him, he was the last uh, last soldier to get a battlefield commission. Beckwith made him a lieutenant right there on the spot because he didn't have I'll, any other. I'll tell you what, man. I do know for a fact that Jim Schwitters was a battlefield commission. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, then that's, that's a true deal then. Wow, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Back to my original thought was that I think it was General Daly. He was a TF Sword commander, and 
or it was Colonel Glaber because he is well, you know Pete, he's <laughs> he's a wild man. Anyway, yeah. they put a box out in front of our briefing area, and it said uh, battle suggestions. So and what <laughs> they put out, what, what they put out. No, that's desperate. And, and this is. American Army goes to war and we practice chaos daily but they're like any idea you can think of you put it in this box and I mean some of this stuff it was it was pretty cool some of it we actually used and oh uh, well then yeah shit bro yeah it worked it worked but we got we were getting ready we're in the planning process and it, it was again it was you know, my, my good, good friend, Master Sergeant Leon Hansen, he was the fire support NCO for Beast yeah, Waters. Leon. So he was back and forth from the ship, and I was back and forth from the ship. I stayed, I was on Masur Island. I was a TF fire support officer. So, we're you know, we were getting a plan together, and one day we were looking at some photos of Objective Rhino, Rhino was like a, a hunting camp, or I, I don't remember exactly what they called it. I'm like, what in the world are they hunting out here in the desert of Afghanistan? The chief objective Rhino is that was a ranger mission, yes. correct? And actually, there is footage of the rangers jumping. Yeah, there's video yeah. and photos, and yeah, it was it was yeah, it was quite a historic event. But so we were talking about landing. C-130s there for FARP and because the, the scheme maneuver, I'll just put it in a snapshot, was that we were going into Gecko. Objective Gecko was Omar's place of residence just west, west of Kandahar. And then our FARP was, it was an it was a airfield. It was a runway landing strip out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, out buildings and housing and things like that. And that's where we were going to land the C-130s for FARP when they came off of Objective Gecko for the helicopters. Roger. So we were looking at it, and actually, I think it was myself, Colonel Schwitter, Leon, and Scotty Miller. And we were talking about landing on this runway. Well, in one of the pictures, there was a Boeing 707 parked on it's the ramp. Four engines. Yeah. Big, big airplane. So evidently yeah. some sheik or somebody flew in there to, you know, hunt. And then they got to talking about they wanted to put a recon, a range of reconnaissance team in there, which made sense. I think Colonel Blaber, he was the biggest proponent. Well, they had asked for a fire supporter to go with them. So Pete was like, well, take gravy. You know, he's he's the TF guy. Leon's on the ship. You know, we can't put him in there and then get him back and that back out to the ship. But so the commander approached me from the Rangers and says, Hey, Greg, you're going to be like, you know, we're requesting that you go on this jump with us. And I, was, I was pretty excited, man. And one thing led to another and we were in there briefing the plan and this air force colonel jumps up and he says, no, we, we got to put a, a CCT guy in there, you know, combat control. They know how to perk the airfields and da da da. And I'm like, yeah, sir, so look at this picture. <laughs> There's a Boeing 707 that landed and he's parked. And in this picture, it's gone. So I know a C 130 can land there. Check course, it out, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I was trying to keep my place on the team <laughs> instead of the combat control guy. And my good buddy, Jim Hosey, he was. We were in B Company together. He was an AH pilot. You may remember Jimbo, but he, he told me, he was like, dude, you're going to find yourself in the middle of all this stuff. Because I wasn't, one, I wasn't real happy about being the fire support officer because I'm an AH guy, man. And I've been yeah. training for I, 15 I years. And, you know, and everybody was pissed off anyway at these dudes. So we wanted to go out there and get some and kill some of these dudes. But it all worked out. You know, I still flew AH missions and but I got to you know, I got to be on the pointy end of the spear, so to speak, and and wreck you in the route for the helicopters. And I mean, we started going in there late September, early October. I had a gunship assigned to me, an AC one thirty U model, and we just we were setting the conditions, prepping the battlefield, 
or gain intelligence. We'd go out full every night and come back empty every every morning. I mean, we were we were killing some stuff, man. It, it was a lot of fun. But anyway, so I got bumps off the jump because I guess this colonel was, you know, he was pretty upset that Air Force Special Operations weren't going to get in a fight. And I said, okay, you know, no big deal. But it was funny because Pete Blaver took me into one of the buildings there, and I says, hey, I, I'm not Halo qualified, you know. And he goes, don't worry, man, I, I got to shoot for you. So we went in there, and he, he gave oh. me some training. And <laughs> yeah, it, it was just – I was very surprised General Daly was like – and I've known General Daly for many years. And he was like, ah, you know, Greg can do it. No worries. So they took off the – the Ranger recon team and the CCT guy, and <laughs> they were about a minute from jump. Well, the Air Force guy indeed shoot inside the aircraft. <laughs> so, <laughs> George, I'm sure you've seen a, a discharge of a shoot in an aircraft, but you ain't going anywhere, and everybody's scrambling to get the shoot in so it doesn't suck you out the back end of the of the airplane. Twice but, uh, I've been experienced that. Oh my gosh, man! It's, it's scary shit. Is what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, it is. But but the guys got. Of course, we got word of it, and and I saw the plane when it came back, and that that Air Force dude was walking off with a chute all bundled up in his arms. You know. Oh man, he was all poopy faced. But karma, bro, has no shelf life. I, I well, I don't know, man, because I <laughs> I met those guys when they came back, and I said, okay, you sons of guns, what happened? They're like, we don't know what happened. All we know is he didn't jump. I was like, wink, wink, you know? I think somebody might have reached over and grabbed that red ball. I don't, I'm just Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I got to ask you, in all seriousness, and it's, it's important because I just wrote an essay and it, uh, Stavros has got it right now in, in editing. And I made remarks regarding static line and halo, you know, operations. But are, yeah. are you serious that, I mean, I know Pete Blaber is serious, but were you seriously going to do a halo jump? Yeah. Yeah. You I were was going to go with him. That is one <laughs> badass thing to, to and, be, uh, do, man. I, my hat is well, off. We, again, you know, everything at that point, it was an urgency, man. I mean, we had well, yeah, yeah. on okay. the ground. And we had no intel whatsoever because the prior administration had pulled everyone out of that part of the world. They'd cut all the money. We had to start from scratch all over again. It just made sense after we kind of briefed it and wargamed it that, and the Rangers wanted a fire support guy there because we, you know, we'd have assets overhead and if they got in trouble, then they'd need, need somebody to, you know, help them out with that. So, it was a successful mission. They got in, did their mission, and we got them out. And uh, and they came back and went on the hit to Rhino and Gecko. Chief, I'll tell you, honestly, my respect for you really spiked here in this story. Um, I mean, I essentially lay out in my essay that if I mean, you can grab some person off the street you can and you can put a static line chute on them and you can stuff them out the door, sure. and they'll probably be okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. like maybe nine times out of a 10. I don't know. They'll probably be okay. If you did that same thing and dumped them out Halo, they probably would not be okay. No. Because there's a lot of stuff you have to be able to yeah. master yeah, it is. to live. Anyway, enough said for me. I asked one of them, I said, now, let me understand this. I said, we're going to tandem? <laughs> they just looked at it like, oh, no, chief, we're, we're not going to tandem. That's what I was, I was like, thinking, but no. Okay. I don't know if they were messing with me, or, but I was going with that recce team. I was going to do a combat halo jump. I'm speechless, man. <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, Steel Team 6 did a tandem with a non-qualified support guy in the Captain Phillips operation. Oh, okay. Totally plausible, man. I, I'm sure they, they they did. Here's what I thought about it. They jump dogs all the time. They're not even right? qualified. <laughs> <laughs> but it still goes on the dog's record as a jump. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Does the dog get paid for it? Nah. Nah. Enough. It was an exciting time. And 
man, I mean, we were just coming up with all kind of stuff. And there's, there's some things that we did that I wish I could talk about, but I can't. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it was just, it was, it was cool. I mean, it was some world war two stuff that we would come up with. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting, but it worked. And, you know, we have the greatest minds and the most intelligent human beings on the planet figuring all this stuff out. And, uh, plus the nuts chief. I mean, Oh yeah. You, we're all, we're all crazy. All of these great <laughs> traits of, of people, you know, intelligence, this and that, when it comes right yeah. down to it, man, it's the, the nuts of people that are willing to risk their lives to do these kind of yeah. things. That's what Absolutely. separates y'all. It does, Gio. You know, man, you've been there, done that. I just, I'm thankful that, you know, I was with those men and that team. And I mean, I was just like so many times, I was right place, wrong time, wrong place, right time, however you want to look at it. But yeah, fate, like, man. What are you going to do? Fate. Yeah. I mean, Psalm 91 looked sober us and, yeah, it was just, it was, I mean, we did a lot more crazy stuff than that over the next few months. If, if you're done talking about Gecko and Rhino, um, sure. when you are done, if you could uh, transition over to Haddith the Dam, that's a, that's a really sacred subject to me, you know, because just because I knew the man on the ground who yeah. was in at Haddith, and I, you know, I, I, I know a bit, I know a lot about what happened. I know very little from his perspective but I know like, the man, so he doesn't, he doesn't say much anyways. So. Well, he, he's a grumpy guy, you know, yeah, but him yeah. and I are in touch almost daily with like, Good. you know, a three word text, like caveman, yeah. you know? but, but we are in touch and, um, he'll, he'll talk to me eventually, but I want to already know what the air perspective was like from, from you guys. And then I can, I can add that to content from him. And maybe I can sure. put it together into a, a decent story for the software breeders. Yeah, and that's it's ironic because I'm and I I don't know if I told you or Stravos, but I'm in I'm in the middle of writing that story right now. I just okay, I great. That's great. Sent some other stuff, but I tell you, man, I and I think about it every day. It was just it was just by the grace of God that we that we made it through that thing. And just another day, Greg. Yeah, it's another day at the office, another day for a six-gun. Our team, we're team four, but that, I'm going to explain all that in another story. But And we had four teams of two AHs operating. We were lovingly referred to as Team Jackass. We were That's the okay. Jackasses. <laughs> and, it, and again, it was like every major gun fight with, you know, the Rangers or Delta, we were just, we just happened to be there or, you know, it was our turn to get into the pipe and we were there. So actually we were planning the Jessica Lynch rescue with 275. 275 had been given the original mission and man, we were, you know, poor 275, they've been kind of the bastard kids for several years. And we, of course they had several friends at 275 and I was like, all right, man, they're going to get in a fight, and this is going to be a big one for them. Well, long story short, we got pulled off, and we got sent up to Haditha. They says, hey, Greg, you and you and Mike and the guys, we want you to go up there support 375. And we're like, well, okay. So we loaded up in a C-17. They flew us up there. and Actually, somebody told us it was the first combat offload on the C-17 up to – H1 is where it was, and that's about, I don't know, 20, 25 miles west of Haditha Dam. So the the operation was 375 conducts an airfield seizure, airborne jump, combat jump into Hotel 1. It was an old airfield out there. It was an old oil and gas pump site. So they conducted the airborne assault, secured the airfield. We landed with our two AHs. We got there to the brief. Colonel Bailey was battalion commander at the time. He had broken his back on the jump. So he they briefed us up. They says, Hey, we're going to Aditha Dam. It's it's the highest regarded structure in the country because one, it's size. I, I have never sized it up until now, but I, I guarantee you that thing was at least a mile wide, this dam. Damn. And it was big hydroelectric, you know, big, big 
giant lake to the north of it. But anyway, our mission was to seize, seize and hold the dam, and we would get relieved the next day by this armor unit coming through because they wanted to keep that dam safe. They didn't want anybody to, you know, blow it or disrupt anything that was that was there. To blow that dam with that flood Baghdad? The town of Haditha was just a few clicks to the south of it. I think that's where the Tigris River starts at that dam. You got the Euphrates and the Tigris. I can't remember. Okay. If but anyway, so a huge huh. strategic strategic target for this war for yeah. Iraq. And the, the weather was just shit, man. It was overcast, low ceilings. So they couldn't get any fixed wing close air support in there. It was our two AHs. So the Rangers, they and they had some Delta guys with us, some heavy breachers, and then their their snipers, their recce guys, to go and, you know, go through the dam and gain any intel or whatever. I never will forget the S2 or Intel guy breathers. You know, we asked about enemy force, and enemy said, oh, it's minimum, you know, a few guys at best. And we're like, okay, roger that. The Rangers took a FARP in for us with rockets and gas and bullets, so cool. we needed it close and it was it was relatively close just a few minute turnaround god i never will forget oh oh mo he was the fire support nco for third back we got ready to take off there they're on the dam and light resistance and then all of a sudden every time mo would key the mic i could hear gunfire and every time he would oh, key, hell. it would get more intense and you know incoming Gunfire, outgoing gunfire. I mean, we could hear RPGs. We could hear heavy machine guns. And at this point, Mo was screaming over the radio, trying to get in touch with his fire support, the AHs. Well, crap, man. I I couldn't talk to him. And I finally, I finally just, I went up on the sat freak and I cleared all the nets because I, you know, we worked with each other for years and years and years and you, you know a guy by his voice and kind of know his you know his current temperament and man mo was just i mean the hair stood up on both of our necks and we we're like gosh Damn. dog we have got to get there so i can remember we turned we went north of the lake to come in north to south because mo's BP, their blocking position was on the west end of the dam. Then they had another BP on the east of the side of the dam. And there were about, I don't know, 108 or 110 rangers there. And then the, the Delta guys. I finally got a hold of Mo. And I look at Mike. I, I was just very angry at the time. And I says, you know, I said, a man on the moon can talk to fucking Houston, Texas in 1968. <laughs> and I can't talk you know, four miles from my fire support guy. But anyway, I, we knew where they were and we came over this lake. I, I mean, we were hauling the mail. We were, we pulled the guts out of those helicopters to get there. Cause our buddies were about to get overrun. We come up over the dam and bumped. I'm going to tell you something. I'd never seen anything like this before in my life. And I hope I never do, but it was literally tracers filled the skies on the South side of that dam. I looked at Mike and he looked at me. And we're like, oh man, we're fucked. <laughs> and, and he laughs. And sure. I saw Moe's strobes, you know, all the, there was like, I think seven or eight of them in that BP. And every one of them were firing just as fast as they could. And I looked just beyond them and there was probably a company size element maneuvering on their blocking position. And there were dudes running everywhere. Then we find out later it was it was a uh, Iraqi regimental of Republican Guards, Fedayeen. Wow, a whole man! Bunch of other dudes. Top guns. Yeah, they they said there was uh, between three and four thousand enemy forces there, but Come on. they had been told that the Americans were coming to blow the dam up. So they were, you know, they didn't want to lose their. They had a big base there in Haditha and. So they didn't want to lose the town, they, you know, and they didn't know we were coming there to save the dam. So they were they were attacking to save the dam, save their people downstream. It's insane, man. But, Irony. So we bumped up. I saw Mo, and and we shot. Mo told us this. We shot twelve meters in front of those guys. That's how close the enemy was. 
respect. We, just, we mowed them down like bowling pins, man. <laughs> broke right, came back around, and young ranger on the east BP, he was he was making a call for fire. He was in distress. And we're <laughs> like, hold on, brother. We're I said, I got your location, man. Just just mark the target. Just mark the target. Cause under stress, you know, we're all taught that standard call for fire. And he was like, Hey, you, this is me, fire mission. I was like, just mark the target. Bless his heart, you know. Yeah. I know he was praying. And again, you know, we engaged at least a company size element, probably 20, 30 meters in front of his position. And then the fight was on, man. We, we made, I think it was, we shot 11 loads that night, both AHs. And so, how much? Told is the us, load? Uh, we got, 4,000 rounds of mini and then 14 rockets. Well, you can do the math. I mean, it was a, it was a plus whoever's not flying in the AH, you've got your M4 up and engaging targets of opportunity with their M4. And I, I swear, George, the both tin bubbles were full of five by six brass and, and we would drop hand grenades on guys. We started doing that. That's another story, but. Oh, yeah, I've done that, that myself. I've done <laughs> a lot of throwing hand grenades off a little bird, man. <laughs> yeah. We started doing that in Afghanistan. Yeah, we burned up the we burned up our little FARP that the Rangers had set out. It was, I think, three or four loads. We had a gal also, but we used it up. I, I don't know how fast, man, but it was just gun run after gun run. Plus, there are wires. I, just Pull that dam up on Google or just there's pictures oh, of it. I got it. Yeah, I've got it up. And also, Chief, for you, um, that's the Euphrates River there. And uh, Euphrates, the 11 yeah. is 48,000 rounds. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bunch. Oh. Plus all the plus all the five, five, six and, and hand grenades that we threw out and shot. And yeah, it, my tin bubble, when we landed that. Not, my tin bubble was full of five five six brass. Chief, what's a tin bubble? The tin bubble. That's where the it's down low inside the aircraft where the puddles are. And it's, okay. You know, glass. Oh, bubble. okay. Chin bubble. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So the brass just you know it just deflects inside the aircraft. And actually, I shot. I was in the left seat, and I shot one one time, and I couldn't have done this if I'd have tried it a million times. But the piece of brass, the piece of brass hit the center console and it ricocheted and it hit Mike in the throat and it went down his inside his body armor and his oh, no. and oh. he starts screaming. And I'm like, oh my God, are you hit? Are you hit? And he goes, No, no, he says a piece of brass. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I, can okay. I can see that in my mind's eye, man. Oh Lord, it was it wasn't too funny at the time, but man, it, I know it burned the heck out of him. And uh, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to make sure I get this uh, visual correct because I, I know what I know about AH pilots. So you guys are flying gun runs and one of one or the other of you, I don't know, maybe both of you, let me know, are hanging outside the helo shooting an M4 carbine at, at, at toads running around on the ground. Is that correct? That's correct. That's Not badass, on the man. Control yeah, list. that's badass. Yeah, you've got your M4 up, ready to engage. Plus, you're you're doing your cockpit duties, you know, helping the guy flying with wires or finding the target. And yeah, we found it very, very effective in Afghanistan to you know use a, use our rifles to engage targets that are offset. Where the guy flying, he's focused on you know shooting the target that he's supposed to. And uh, yeah, it's it's just very effective. Um, I personally have known that, that you guys are not just. Uh pencil whipping carrying a weapon inside your cockpit you know it's like <laughs> like a weapon check you know helmet right. check no I, I i've been on the uh, pods it was again it was in africa in 1993 you know gunning yeah. off the pods and uh running dry on my primary and i had the pilot oh pot he stuck pilot it, will hand you a magazine well that's what he did he he, he stuck it a magazine out the out the door and i looked up yeah. and i'm like this guy's got a he's got an m4 doesn't have an MP5. He's he's got a badass M4. So I took his magazine, and that guy proceeded to hand me seven more magazines. And I said, yeah. "This guy's got an arsenal up front. You know, he means business." Yeah. So again, yeah, we 
I would always carry 10 magazines. I'd have That's probably eight. We're in a basic load, man. Yeah, eight on my, yeah, my basic load, one a gun and one in a pocket somewhere. That was the biggest battle of, of the Iraqi war was Haditha Dam. And it lasted, we wound up being there for seven days. Yeah, we were like, where's that armored unit that's supposed to have been here three days ago? <laughs> Classic, oh, huh? Did the carrying of magazines became an SOP after the Black Hawk Down incident? So pilots carrying that high amount of personal loadout. Yeah, that that's a real good point, Stravos. It was back then in 93, They most of the crews carried MP5s. After the Battle of Mogadishu and the AARs and the debriefs, they went back to carrying M4s. One, the MP5 didn't offer the range that you know we needed to have yeah and it, it was just a, it was a better weapon system for our for our operations that that's a submachine gun it's not an assault rifle no well their thinking was that you know if an aircraft went down it would be in an urban area in close quarters so i i think they thought the mp5 would be a better weapon system but after mogadishu they found different so yeah and those pilots i mean they did their share of hanging out the doors and shooting their MP5s, man. Absolutely. They, they sure did. They laid it down, bro. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's lottie dotty everybody, man, when, yep. when there's a gunfight. So. Yeah, pilots are guilty of no pretense in combat, the Night Stalkers, no. that is. Nope, none. They're, they're fighters, man. I'm, well, yeah. most of us in B Company, it was kind of interesting. We all came from combat arms is enlisted i mean we had rangers we had delta guys sf guys and infantry guys and so yeah it was it was just kind of a natural draw for those for us knuckle dragon killers to go fly ahs <laughs> and you were also so done in iraq correct yes sir yeah 19 march 2004 would you mind telling us about the incident yes oh lord that was uh again that was it was another day at the office, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, we had we had been extremely busy, oh three, oh four, and there was Fallujah, Ramadi, and then Amaria, which is south of yeah Fallujah, and it was we we call it kind of the Devil's Triangle simply because there had been I believe it had been seven helicopters shot down in that triangle. So, I mean, Schnooks and 58s and Blackhawks, and it was just a bad, bad place. We'd been in Fallujah hitting targets, and, of course, we got intel off of one that led to another that led to another. And then on the night of the 18th, we were with B Squadron. They got intel that a, a high-value target we were looking for was going to be there at 10 o'clock that next morning. And we were just, we all just kind of sunk. We were like, oh, God, daytime. No, <laughs> you mm. know, you, yeah, hear you. bad things happen to Night Stalkers during the day. Quite frankly, up to this point, I mean, the whole task force, we've been extremely successful from 01 up until now. You know, I think some of, I'll, I thought, you know, we were the immortals, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, after Haditha Dam and some of the yeah. other large battles that we've been in and crap, we'd come out unscathed. And most of the guys, we'd lost a few guys, but not many. So we came back, came off that target. Sergeant Major says, hey, we had a little wet or east of Fallujah. says, hey, you guys go hang out there, crank up, get up on the radio. If we need you, we'll call you. And we were like, whew, okay. Because... <laughs> March 04, man, Fallujah was wild, wild west, dude. Yeah, it sure was. Area. So we cranked, sat there. Those guys hit the target. They got the guy off, brought him back. Well, there's another high-value target we were looking for down by Amaria. So they said, all right, we're just we're going to drive down there, go kill that guy, and then we're going to go back to Baghdad. He said, I want you guys to go back to Baghdad there at Biop, you know, get some rest, recock. We're like, yep, roger that. So they went, they headed south, they drove down, they had five vehicles, they had three gun trucks and two panders. So we got back and I think I was in a talk at, or just walked in or something and they said, hey, those guys are in trouble. They, they called a tick, 
troops in contact. So we hauled ass, jumped in the aircraft, flew back there. It was only, I don't know, about an eight or 10 minute flight and got on station. And I can remember seeing the, the vehicles were all lined up. We we're getting ready to exfil. And commander came up on the net and says, hey, exfil in one minute. And then I had, I'd flown down real low to the guys, probably, I don't know, eight or 10 feet, like we always do, and just, you know, kind of give the international wave sign to them. And Flip them the bird. Like, right it looks like <laughs> a middle finger. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's comforting. But, the guys on the uh, ground yeah and, <laughs> and i mean from like the whole flight the hair just it was just standing up on the back of my neck and right and p guy was he was my co-pilot he was a brand new guy and i <clears> told him i said hey bro i said you get that rifle up and you see anything you smack it he's like roger that i'd done a swoop down on the guys and i was climbing right hand turn about I don't know, about 160, 165 feet. I was headed kind of southwest. Man, I heard this giant explosion and this fireball was right by my face. The aircraft kind of shuddered. Then it got real quiet. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So... I never will forget, I was talking to, again, my old buddy Jim Hosey. He was there in country at the time. When I got back, he says, yeah, he said, I think the best saying of any deployment ever, ever said was by you when you said, you know you're fucked when you get passed by your own fireball. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. so, yeah. So I entered an auto rotation, and then I'm an instructor pilot, so thank God I'd done many, many. And I can remember in the physiological part of the body and then your brain. And, but every nanosecond was like frame by frame is the best way I can explain it. That, that's, it's like looking at a negative, George. You're a photographer. Yes, and, you sir. know, you see picture by picture. And yeah. that's, that's what my brain was doing at that point in time as I Good description. thought back and looked back. And I understand you know, what happens physiologically to our bodies under stress and different heart rates. And man, I, I guarantee you, I was, I was way up there, but my, I said, you know, I just, I got to get this helicopter, please stay together. Cause I didn't know what had hit us. Something wound up being an SA-16. That's a shoulder fire. It's very technologically advanced weapon system for that part of the country. And they didn't even know they had SA-16s in country. But anyway, it worked as advertised. And that, you know, that big sky little bullet theory, well, it's bullshit. I can prove uh, that. Uh, Again, it was daytime. It was about 1,300 hours local. But I remember uh, checking the rotor. The rotor's very critical in auto rotation. You don't want it to get too high because it could spin off the aircraft. And I'm thinking about keeping the aircraft in trim. And it's just this flat dirt, you know, desert out there. So it's very difficult to judge distance above the ground, you know, or long range distance. So I was relying solely on my radar altimeter and I kept scanning it and the rotor and just all kinds of things and thinking to myself, I wish the engine out audio would stop blaring at me because I know the engine's out and yeah. this extra input to my annoying. At the time. Yeah. I was kind of busy. I continued my auto rotation. I decelled at about 65 feet, and it was a very aggressive deceleration because I I wanted to minimize my ground run. I wanted to bleed that airspeed off, and then at at about 20 feet, I leveled the aircraft and I just I pulled the collective. I pulled it's called cushion. I just pulled everything I had left. I remember checking the rotor. It was good. I was, my trim was good. I was heading in a straight line and there's just a lot of things that you got to do correctly to, to land that aircraft safely. I touched down and it was funny later, P guy and I were talking about it and in our heads, we were high-fiving each other because he was like, dude, I didn't even feel the touchdown. Really? Uh, yeah. My wingman said, man, it was the prettiest auto he had ever seen. 
I said, well, like Neil Armstrong, I only had to do it once. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's classic, <laughs> man. Yeah, he had one shot to land a limb on the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? limb. So we touched down, and I was like, holy cow, man, okay, this is not too bad. Well, old Mr. Murphy, everybody's familiar with him. So we slid, and it just the cockpit just filled with that dirt and dust and stuff, and you couldn't see. And, and I, the last thing I remember was, of course, I'm an old cowboy and used to ride, you know, used to buck out horses and train them and stuff. And they go, you know, when they buck, they go to their front feet where you got to set way, you know, how you set way back. Yeah, yeah. Going forward. Well, I remember doing that, but the helicopter had slid the skid stuck in some soft dirt and that started us our end over end tumble. And I remember hearing the rotor blades hit the ground. It was again, it's just, this is all in slow motion, man. It was just, it's incredible what your brain will do. Yeah. And that's the last thing I remember is hearing those rotor blades just popping, you know, popping the ground, slapping the ground, huh, chief? Yep. And then, you know, leaning back in the stirrups. That's funny. Yeah. And I came to, and again, it was cockpits filled with dirt and dust. And, and I just opened my eyes, and I I think I'd been knocked out. I can neither confirm or deny that, because if an aviator loses consciousness, you're grounded for two years. But anyway, right. But uh, right. I know the story. I know the story. <laughs> yeah. But I kept thinking about, I kept hearing this popping, you know, and I was like, the first thing I thought of was crazy, but it was popcorn, because it was just pop, 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 pop. And then I'm like, holy crap, that's the ammo cooking off. You know, I had a bunch of minigun ammo on, of course, 17-pound rockets, and we were on fire. I mean, I could smell it. I could hear it. You know, you do the old check, you know, wiggle your toes, move your feet. Okay, I can move my left leg, move my right leg. Then I realize I'm inverted. I'm upside down. (laughs) Open my eyes. When it rains, the pores, huh, Chief? Yeah, you know, and I... I remember I moved, I tried to move my right arm, my left arm. They, my shoulders had been dislocated. Both and, of them, uh, right. Yeah. But I, I guess I'd rolled on the right, you know, I was in the right seat when I, I was laying on the ground when it came to rest. So I guess it popped it out. So I, I, I just kind of blinked my eyes a few times, you know, and I was like, crap the bed, Fred. <laughs> I I said a quick little prayer. I just said, God, just, you know, give me speed and accuracy and watch over my girls, man, because if I don't make it out of this, it's all good. I know where I'm going. So I, I, my rifle, I I looked at it because that's the first thing, you know, again, as a soldier and a warrior, you know, where's my weapons? (laughs) Because my aircraft's kind of on fire right now. Well, then I heard gunfire, you know, as my brain kind of recaged as to what was going on around my, in my environment. I could hear the 50, I could hear the 240s, I could hear my wingman shooting miniguns, and I was like, okay. So I look over at P-Guy, of course, we're hanging there, and he's, he's kind of up in the air because we we're right side low, inverted. Oh. Put my hand on his shoulder, and I says, hey, man, I said, you okay? And he just, he kept looking straight ahead, and he kind of nodded his head. I could see blood all over his face, and I was like, oh, crap, man. You know, I didn't know if he'd been hit or – then the next thing I thought was the old Little Bird cyclic kiss. They're famous for the shoulder harnesses not locking in a crash sequence. I can name several guys right now that don't have any front teeth because they they smack the cyclic in that forward momentum. Damn, how can that be acceptable, man? Well, luckily ours worked, and – so I told him, I says, look, I said, get your rifle. I crawled out of the front. I took my helmet off. And I, in the crash sequence, I'd hit the door frame with my head. And yeah. It had cracked my helmet. I Uh-oh. didn't know it. Yeah, you, you went out. <laughs> yeah. You went yeah. out, bro. <laughs> okay. But later on, I remember telling the crew chiefs to lose that helmet. <laughs> they, they that? would send it to Fort Rucker and Fort Rucker would analyze it and say, well, God, this guy took a 10G shot to the head, you know, or whatever. And so, so grounded. yeah, the hel- helmet disappeared. And <laughs> that's, a, that's unfortunate, man. Yeah. Yeah. Gra- Looking back, I'd kind of like to have had it right now. But. Didn't you crack vertebrae in that crash as well? 
Yeah, I cracked one in C3 and then two in my L-spine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. But So I crawled out. Again, my brain shifted to, you know, security of the aircraft, security of my crew, just figure out what the heck's going on. And there was a gunfight was raging, you know, down there were about, we're about 300 meters west of the build and the guys were just northeast of us. And I'm like, well, okay. So, but I, I tried to stand up and take a step and I'd fall down. I'd stand up take a step and I'd fall down. I did that like three or four times. And I was like, crap, man, man, my legs broke, you know? So I just sat down and my, my wingman later says, yeah, we were watching you. And he said, we, I was fixing the land. He says, Greg, that, that helicopter was fully engulfed in fire. We didn't see any movement and I had to go do a call for fire. So I went and engaged some targets and I came back around. We were going to land and get you guys out. So we, he said, I honestly thought y'all were dead, he, but he was watching me and he says, you know, it was kind of funny at the time. He says, you kind of look like a circus clown. You know, he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. Hey, Chief, uh, hey, go ahead. a quick question. Isn't it true that um, despite the uh, carnage on the ground that your wingman flew over and flipped you a bird? Yeah, yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. Sorry, you wrecked. They, Fuck they you. Came in, yeah, they came in and they swooped us. And Jay, you know, he he gave us the old American signal, and I I gave him one back. That way, they knew we were okay. And Just a comms check, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, man. No no comms. There's no comms Good check. Stuff. No comms and, check. Uh, so he he went back around, got back in the fight. So I did a 300 security, 360 degree security check around the aircraft and i was like holy crap man this thing is burning so i thought about my ruck we all carry our little rucks right behind the seats and in the ruck we have our night vision goggles water ammo and grenades kind of limped over to the cargo bay there it was just fully engulfed in fire and i was like man i'm not reaching my hand in there so you know screw that and then i'm like where's p guy so i Crawled to the front of the aircraft, and I, he's just looking straight ahead again, you know. And I asked him later, I says, what what in the world were you doing? He goes, man, I was listening to the radio. They were talking about us. <laughs> you know, all oh. these. Oh. Anderson, AH is down, you know, launched launch the force. <laughs> <laughs> gravy's, gravy's down, gravy's down. So, and I was like, God, you knucklehead. So I said, all right. I said, get out. Get out. I'm not kidding. The aircraft's on fire, man. Again, my focus went to the east because all I could think of was Black Hawk Down. You know, little black helicopter shot down right here by the bad guys, and they're coming. I spent a few seconds, you know, just kind of watching again. And then I went, I looked back, and I didn't see P.I. And by now, the flames were in the cockpit. So I I crawled, I ran over there the best I could, and I crawled in, and I just reached up, and I pulled his latch, you know, little latches on those seat belts. It was, it was kind of funny because he just, he went down, you know, and fell down on his head. And then he, he kind of looked at me, and I was like, come on. And I just grabbed him. And I mean, the fire, I never will forget, the fire was just rolling around his arm. It was just weird, man. I grabbed him and I just jerked him out of the helicopter, man, out on top of him. So we got out. We went probably about 50 meters at the three o'clock position because then I got to worrying about those 17 pound rockets. I was like, man, I don't know what I don't know what those things are going to do because everything was burning. And, you know, they never did anything. They just burn up. They didn't explode or the the motors didn't ignite. huh? No, they didn't ignite. Surprisingly. Yeah. I put P guy in a prone position. I, and I said, Hey man, I said, I got his helmet off, kind of checked him, you know, like we always do. And he had blood all over his face. And I says, Hey, I said, let me, let me see your grinners. Open his mouth. I looked at his teeth and I said, okay, good. He didn't smack the cyclic. Cause that's what I thought. I said, stick your tongue out. And he stuck his tongue out and he had bit halfway through his tongue. And I like, oh, dude. I said, okay. So I told him, I said, look, you watch north. And we were both shaking up. I said, I'm going to watch to the east. I said, if you see something, sing out. Let's put kind of 
messed up right now. So let's put two sets of eyes on it. Let's talk about it before we engage. And he's like, okay, you know, I got it. So it wasn't, but I don't, I don't know how long, but I heard a vehicle. I says, Hey, I got contact my 12. P guy kind of scooted around. So we had both guns up and at the low ready. And then I heard, I heard it stop. Then I looked and see a head bobbing. We were in a a little bit of a deflate there. Then I could see a, I saw his eyes and sunglasses and I saw beard and I was like, Oh, I know him. (laughs) I said, okay, we're good. Lower your weapon. And, uh, yeah. So Chaz just, he kind of stopped and then he just took off running towards us and got up there to us and, uh, put his arms around us. And he's like, man, I sure am happy to see you guys. He said, we thought you guys were dead. I said, no, we ain't dead. (laughs) So, yeah, the rest is history. We had we had about a six hour gunfight after that, and got trucks stuck and got them out. And, oh Lord, it was we had to drive out of there because combat search and rescue, the Air Force special ops guys refused to come get us. Said it was too risky. The troop commander wasn't too happy about that, but yeah. he's like, "Hey, we'll we'll take them out with us." But they're over in Ramadi, so we. We fought our way out of it. Well, we went went in the town into the bill there because I wanted to see if we could find any any evidence. Two of the guys saw saw the shot, saw the rock, the missile shot, and it was on top of a two story building. We assaulted in there, and oh, I remember this. It was kind of cool. We were here. We are these five vehicles online. We're just racing across the desert. I'm in the back right seat behind Sergeant Major. And I looked out the window and I looked right and then I looked left and I was like, all I could think of was Rat Patrol. Remember that old TV show? Hell yeah. Those, those British dudes. The Rat Patrol. Heck yeah. The Rat Patrol because we were, you know, hopping over little bump, just hauling ass, you know, all guns were going off and the gunners were engaged in targets. And anyway, that was a, you know, a short combat pause, I guess. And then, then we got stuck. Then we got out under fire. Then we made it into the ville, and I went with the sergeant major. He went and had some, shall we say, conversations with a few of the people there. <laughs> you right know on. who I'm talking about, Gio. Yeah, I absolutely do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's like, "Come on, Greg." I was like, "So they they cleared the building where the missile shot came from. Got up there and couldn't find anything." Then we got back, and then some more dudes started to engage us. And Jeremy Smith, he was a young ranger. Oh, he was ranger a Smith, pop yeah. gunner. He started shooting up some tents and buildings. And I saw some this dude ran out on the roof in a black man dress with a cell phone. And I was like, okay, he's calling his buddies. So I engaged him, and then Jeremy engaged the building, and then a couple of dudes came running out of a building with one carrying RPG and an AK, so we engaged them and fought our way out of there, fought our way through Fallujah, between Fallujah to Ramadi, through Ramadi, and then finally to the MSS about 9 o'clock that night when we got there. Going after the guys that shot you down described you as like the master counterpuncher. We'd like to ask you one last question that we feel is, is pretty important. We know you're a philanthropist and uh, we know you're giving back to the community. And w- uh, we'd really like the listeners to hear about what you're doing because we know you're not ever going to toot your own horn. So we're going to toot it for you. I'm just a man. Guy's got a purpose for me. And and I got real involved with working with other veterans and, and helping guys out, especially the younger guys from, from the community. A lot of Rangers, few of the Delta guys. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, minister to them and mentor them and help them through their their problems and their issues. And I'm pretty involved in a couple of the better-known nonprofits. One we got here in Young County, Texas. It's Young County Warrior Ranch. And we have a real nice facility here. We, we got a building that sleeps about 20 guys and we do a Hilo hog hunt every yep. year in March. Yeah, yep. if you guys can ever get down here, we'd love to have you. But uh, good, good friend of mine, a, a uh, icon in the Range Regiment, Special Operations Communities, Sergeant Major James Pippin. 
and he he lives here in Graham and but yeah we put that thing on and it's just man it's just medicine for these guys we have generally we'll have some active duty rangers come in then guys from all over the country and we do another big helicopter hog hunt in Ennis Texas in February and you know again it's it's these you know these these younger guys come in man and they're just they're angry and they're grumpy and man after they leave they're they're happy and you know they get to be with with guys of their own breed and you know they know that there's guys who've been there and done that same as them i'm gonna throw this in there because uh it because i think it's pretty important as uh stavros the way i met chief you know i didn't meet chief in the service not at all i had no idea who he was but i had a pretty dark dark year in uh las vegas and my oldest daughter came and she brought me to uh, Albuquerque to take me. And I was just not recovering. You know, I, was, I wasn't getting better. And it was just getting worse. And I got a phone call one day and it was, uh, the man said, my name is Greg Coker. You know, I'm a former night stalker and I heard you're not doing well. And me and some of the guys, we're going to make a road trip out there and come get you, take care of you. That's how, that's how I met Chief. So that's, I'm, that's I'm, really I'm, nice of you, Craig. Yeah, that's what we do, man. We, the war doesn't end. You know, there's a, there's a saying in the Ranger Crees, never shall I leave a fallen comrade. And that's, that's forever, man. It's just like the oath that we all took. It's forever. Yeah, when brothers are in trouble or in need, we rally the troops and we, we go get them. And they're yeah. just. They don't just say that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, George and I both, we've, we've lost some very, very good friends to suicide and. You know, they lose hope and they don't have a loving God. Yeah, they just, they go to another place. So I, I'm very, very, I'm on a crusade, so to speak. I mean, I've been crusading my whole life. Did it in the Mideast for eight years, regardless of what people think or say. You know, the crusades will continue for a long, long time. But yeah, I just, I love each and every one of them. And, you know, I want them to know that. Much love, Chief. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes, sir. That's the point, after all. Having your body's back to take care of your own. That's God's purpose for me and many of us out there. So, yeah, Jeff, we gotta stay in the fight. We gotta stay in the fight. Guys cool. preach that a lot. A lot of guys preach that. You know, I got your back. I'm there for you. Everybody wants to help till it's time to help. But yeah. Chief, uh, Chief is a doer, man. He's not a he's not a sayer. He's a doer. Well, so, thanks, I, George. No, man. I, I'm I'm indebted to you for my life. That's for sure. Well, we all depend on each other. Craig, thanks again for joining us. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, I, Chief. I was very reluctant to write and to start. And Yeah, you know, true. George has, George has been a huge proponent. Kyle Lamb, of course, my wife. Edie. Roger Kyle Lamb. I think it's important for the next generation of warriors that come up to hear these stories and You know, and it's not about me, it's about the team. It's about all of us. We we owe our successes to each other and we couldn't have done what we've done without each other. That's the message, I guess, my end state. And you can check out the podcast and Greg's at our new site, uh, which is Greenland uh, Software, where you can find a thriving community of active duty and veterans and people affiliated with the military. Yeah, that's it. On time, on target. Every time, plus or minus 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Stavros. Don't even mention it. Thank you. Thank you, Gio. Cheers, Greg. All right, out here. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.